0: Kanye talks buying Universal, bringing VR concerts
1: to the mainstream. Is the solo songwriter hit dead? That showbiz, baby. Welcome to episode 22 of That Showbiz Baby podcast, your all things music, business, and media podcast. I'm your host, Joe, with my co-host, Colin, and we are joined today with our guest, Thomas Reed, a successful independent artist in the lo-fi hip-hop scene. What's up, Thomas? Yo. <laughs> <laughs>
0: what, a, what, what a
1: lo-fi hip-hop thing to do, <laughs> yeah, am I right? <laughs> I,
2: try, I try to stay on brand in all things that a- I do.
1: if uh, We're, we're going to see you. What's some other lo-fi places they can find us (laughs) called? Oh, yeah. That's how I
0: describe our produced content on all that lo-fi. You can find us on Twitter at ShowbizBabyPod, Facebook and Instagram at showbizbabypodcast, Email ThatShowbizBabyPodcast at gmail.com. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much you can find us there. We've been doing a lot with content and stuff like that and learning a lot about how all these social media stuff works. Yep. So. Doing
1: a trial run of video as well today, which so we'll, Thomas, you're you're a first for us. You're trying, a first. You know, so if you
0: see good. us right now, it, we got it. on. Yeah. The, it worked out. And if
1: you don't, we didn't. We didn't.
0: So we're going to see if that works out. Thomas, it's good to have you on. We've known you for a long time now. Yeah, One yeah. of the few people that I know that's on the... I, what i like to call the cool and hip music as opposed yeah. to not like the lame like oh yeah i just i remember carrie hunterwood song it was all right you know like <laughs> so thomas uh how how you been doing pretty much being an artist and all that kind of stuff it's
2: been good man i uh i lived in la for a little while which uh was fun but uh because of covid kind of got cut short yeah. um and now i'm just i'm back in sound chilling in nashville and i'm just kind of like Just making music. Yeah.
0: That that's awesome. And I know know that you started primarily like on the SoundCloud scene and like went into YouTube and had a lot of stuff. I mean, and then now you're I mean, you're at the point where you're doing co writes and stuff like that and selling songs and rights to, you know, labels and other publishers and stuff like that.
3: Mm.
2: Yeah, I mean it's been good. Like I've definitely been blessed. Like, um I'm still just what's cool is like I'm independent and I'm basically just able to kind of Write what I want and do what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm definitely blessed to know a lot of the artists and a lot of like the the industry people that I do know. Um, but I just like the I like the independent artist wave in that. You just make music and you get to just do that for a living and you don't really have to like, it doesn't feel like a job every day for me, yeah. you know? And so it, it's definitely cool for me. And, um, yeah, I'm just kind of staying on that wave. Just That's awesome. enjoying. I'm, go- enjoying
0: I'm glad out. to always have an artist on the podcast. Cause I always joke you guys have hearts as opposed to us <laughs> cold production people <laughs> or business people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or business people. <laughs> Oh man. And man, let's talk about our first topic of having a heart, I guess we'll go into it. <laughs> uh, so if you guys haven't heard, uh, Kanye was on Joe Rogan the other day, and I really like, I'm not covering it just because Kanye's on Joe Rogan. It's because he said some very interesting music business stuff, kind of like when we talked about all his demands for changing the industry that one time. <laughs> uh, so Kanye West, and this is the title of the article, I will buy Universal Music Group for 33 billion <laughs> Uh, Yeah, Kanye was on Joe Rogan and said this. And apart from saying a number of things, he talked about buying Universal Music Group. Quote, I was thinking about buying my master's, but... I realized that was too small of a thought. I'm going to buy universal (laughs) universal is only a $33 billion organization. I'm one of the greatest product producers that ever existed. This is my favorite part. And I'm a child. I'm 43 years old. I was 53 million in debt four years ago. Now it's proven that I'm the new Michael Jordan of products. Uh, so Music Business Worldwide actually expands on this question of could he do it? And the in, and the reason I'm covering this is because the answer isn't just no, <laughs> which is interesting. Uh, so first, according to Music Business Worldwide, Kanye... Kanye basically estimated Universal to be, again, $33 billion, and that, according to Music Business Worldwide, is a pretty accurate representation. So to Kanye's finances, Wes claims to have a current personal net worth of $5 billion alongside an annual personal cash flow of $300 million. Uh, And then Music Business also adds that Kanye knows a lot of rich people, basically, (laughs) such as Elon Musk and many others. So maybe he could raise the funds together by banding enough people together with his personality and the people he knows. But the real question is, would Vivendi, the main parent company of Universal, and this is the quote, a consortium led by Chinese giant Tencent, who owns a 10% stake in Universal, sell their ownership to Kanye and a group of others. So, the, in, this is the real interesting part. Vivendi has been actually very active in liquidating their part as they sold 10% to the consortium led by Tencent for $3.3 billion, a nice chunk of change. And then that same consortium has the option to buy another 10% mid-January 2021. Vindi CEO, and here we go with this pronunciation— Arnaud de Poinfontaine, I had to look that one up, said Vivendi is also, quote, pursuing the process of selling additional minority stakes in UMG to other parties, Kanye, as well as basically being aggressive in that fact. As I mentioned last podcast, Vivendi still plans to take Universal Music Group public with an IPO in 2022. So back to some Kanye quotes before we kind of circle on the question, quote, they are using me as their artist. Who has attracted other artists this is Universal? Also, I used them. I got famous, I made some money, I got to tour. I became the superstar, so we used each other. Now there's just an adjustment that needs to be made in the relationship I can make, and I will make products that will make more money than Universal is worth. It's just time for us to innovate, he continued. We need to have contracts that make sense with, with exactly how we sell the music, echoing what we talked about a couple podcasts ago. Yep. I'm not trying to go and eliminate anyone's job. Record labels are afraid of saying, okay, we're going to hand over the distribution completely to you guys. Quote, There's a way where both parties can be happy, and these infrastructural partners can be a service to the influencer, to the artist. These deals can be flipped in a way that are just more fair. And then Wes further claimed, at this point, music loses me money. I don't make my money; it doesn't make me money. My five billion dollars in net worth and three hundred million of cash I see a year. Music is like a negative four million
1: for me. I that I don't know. I don't think it's like in ter- I I feel like he's embellishing a little bit when it comes to the Kanye the, it's embellishing. Neg- what? <laughs> That's unreal. Yeah, but I mean, like maybe, yes, it's not making as much money as his other money-making prospects and stuff like that, you know, like his merchandise and stuff, but all that stuff comes with touring. Like, especially his merchandise. I mean, people buy Yeezys because they saw Kanye play live. He's a music artist. It's what made him his name and what made... The everything else around him basically. Yeah. So I, I feel like it's not necessarily he's losing money doing it.
0: I feel like that's part of If you want to say, kind of, we've said this a bunch of time that streaming is almost like a promotional cost. Yeah, exactly. For other products. I feel I like think,
1: making music for him is a promotional yeah, cost. Yeah, and
0: I get it. Yeah. I mean, it's different from, you know, 20, 30 years ago where you would make money off of the CDs and stuff like that. Yeah. But like, I would say that the reason that people know you and want to buy your products is because of your music. So I wouldn't say that it's necessarily a like a negative, as he said. Mm -hmm. It's more of like I would consider it marketing,
2: you know. Yeah, and and I agree. I mean, I think it is a level of embellishing uh, because it's Kanye. I Mm. love Kanye, by the way. I know you do. I'm I'm very much a Kanye apologist, (laughs) but but yeah, I, I feel like it's a level of embellishing. But I get where he's coming from because if you think about his position, he's on a major label. And on a major – like, me as an independent artist, like, yeah, I live off of, like, streaming because I get to keep the majority of that streaming income, Mm. you know? But for Kanye, he's if he's signed to a major, yeah, he probably had this fat advance that he – I mean, he's probably recouped, but also maybe not, because they're probably really fat advances. And then also, I mean, the standard for a label is usually taking 80% of the record yep. for streaming. So when he says that, I mean, yeah, it's probably embellishing, but he also probably is right. He's probably not making very much off of the music itself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's definitely like feeding into his brand. Like there's a reason Yeezy sell, you right. know?
1: But- Well, that too. And like, it depends on like where you put the cutoff of like where music is making money. Because like touring it's such a huge revenue source that like it was pre rona and uh comparison to record uh to like actually getting streaming like uh, accounts or even selling records believe it or not people do still sell records Mm -hmm. which is crazy um yeah honestly it's crazy now (laughs) but um in comparison to those yeah i mean it like i mean touring is gonna engulf that immediately but yeah um I, I still think you know. Without the music, you're not going to be able to tour. So I wouldn't. So kind of I wouldn't count
0: that. Yeah, that's why I wouldn't count it as a negative. You know. Yeah. It's a. If you want to look at it, I would say if you want to look at it in the most pessimistic way, it's the cost of doing business. If you want to say your recording costs and the time you spent doing it, but it then it just gets confusing. It's like he's also
1: he's obviously not losing that much money. I mean, he's got <laughs> he's he, he claims to, to have five billion yeah.
0: in net worth, and then still makes three hundred million of cash every year. So like clearly three, 4 million of 300 million is not that big of a chunk. You
1: know what I mean? For
0: him to essentially have the ability to even make products that people want to buy.
1: Yeah. Um, I I also think his talking point on flipping the power move and stuff, it's like, yeah, maybe that's the case for you specifically Kanye. But what about when you take over uh, and all the artists underneath you, like what happens to their collections? What happens to, you know, all, all of their records mm-hmm. at that point. And I know he's saying, oh, well, maybe I would just buy it and then I would keep everybody, oops, <laughs> I would keep everybody uh, like on staff yeah. and all that stuff. <laughs> but that's not what happens most of the time when people yeah. get bought out. It, like, you know, people shift, people get fired, people, you know, move to different positions and stuff like that. And that's just kind of the, how it goes when someone gets bought out in general. And that's from yeah. a high corporate level to a low, you know, small business level.
0: Yeah. So Thomas, you're gonna come in here and buy Universal Music
1: Group and just kick uh, some yeah. people down. <laughs> what, what's the label you're buying, Thomas?
2: I don't know. I don't know. I guess like my overall thing with is just kind of like why, you know? And yeah. I feel like it's a very like again, love Kanye, but I feel like it's a very Kanye thing of like he's 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 upset about how things are run. And I I agree. I mean, obviously there's a lot of things with major labels that are like very not artist friendly and mm-hmm. i'm glad that i'm not signed to a major label right but i guess like my overall thing is kind of like like why does why is that the answer to it yeah you know because because if you just look i mean he already has a label he already has good music yeah and like if you just look at the history of good music good music has not been run particularly well the past few years because when it started he was super involved but then it's like he he kind of passed a lot of that on to other people and yeah isn't push
1: T the president or something
2: yeah push a t i think runs yeah. it now but it's mm-hmm. like um i mean there was that one year where it's like Kanye was just like, okay, here's what we're going to do. For streaming, we're going to have everyone have seven-song projects. And it's like, yeah, okay, well, that worked for, like, uh, was it Kitsy Ghost? I think that was what it was. Yeah, yeah. I think what that was it. That was sick, right? But then there were other artists who were, were stuck under, oh, their project has to be six or seven songs, right? So it's like it just didn't, it didn't work out for them, and those artists didn't fare as well mm-hmm. because of Kanye's overall creative decisions just blanket creative decisions on everyone's art there yeah and then on yeah. top of that he's just not been i mean he's kanye like you like i listened to a lot of that interview i mean the dude's doing a lot of stuff like he's like i'm starting schools i'm starting this yeah and that, you gotta and remember
0: like, he's also running for president he's doing, technically yeah, he, he is running States. for president like he's yeah. doing
2: a lot of things so it's kind of like um how is how is the answer to okay yes major labels is problems how is the answer to that then kanye just buys one of them and then Kanye's gonna run it like way better than anyone else. See, this is interesting well, yeah. because it
0: kind of curtails like into that argument we had when we talked about uh, satisfactory, which is a Phoebe uh, Bridgers like thing, and we talked about artist-owned labels. Now, this is very interesting yeah, because, because this, this isn't a, just starting your own. This is
1: a top three. Yeah, you know? like, this is this like is, yeah. this would be next level so, artist-owned label.
0: Here's, here's my thing about it. I don't. First off, I don't know if he. I clearly even with his, you know uh estimation if it's high if it's low i don't know of his own worth like he doesn't have enough money just to buy this company so he's gonna have to get you know investors and other people interested if he really wanted to and i think the thing about this for me is it's interesting because i feel like kanye especially like if you follow kanye is always running in a you know a thousand miles a minute i'm going to a different thing now this is the new topic and it's interesting actually now from you know a consumer to see him actually kind of hit the nail more and go no, no 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 i'm serious about trying to reform these record labels like we talked about a couple podcasts ago with his you know tweets that were you know we've kind of thought were ridiculous but i it, it's almost like i want to applaud him for the most basic thing of staying on a topic yeah. you know <laughs> and so i'm like okay maybe he can actually get some stuff together so like for instance, like I said, like this consortium, which is a very fancy word, which basically just means a bunch of people, uh, that's led by the Tencent company that owns ten percent of Universal. That was three point three billion. If Kanye wanted to, hypothetically, he could liquidate some of his assets of the five billion and get ten percent of this company on his own if they were willing to sell again for another three point three billion. Mm-hmm. Now that's also on the same factor that the share price is the same and all this kind of stuff, or they're still well, really if they're still privately selling it for the same amount of money. But even when the IPO starts, if we want to go later, he could buy maybe a, you know, ten, twelve percent of this company unless everybody ups the price by wanting to get into Universal. Yeah. So I think I, I, here's do you my think thing. he would do it though? Because like that's, that's what I'm wondering.
1: That's the Be, thing with Kanye is he tends to say these like I'm going to do this, but then he doesn't actually. So follow he does through. all these
0: big PR moves, like and I and we've talked about it. And I like look, you can think whatever you want, but I consider his presidential run a PR move. Uh That's just personally me, but like I feel like if he wanted to, he could take this as a PR move and say I want to buy part of this company and here's $4 billion. Can you give me 10% of this company? Yeah, and then, and then like, he
1: can say, I bought the company. And then,
0: well, he could <laughs> go that far, or he could just be like, I'm trying to acquire other shares of it and trying to you know, actually get change in it. And I think like, for once in a very long time, a lot of people... Could, you know, they could say, I don't think he's going to do the right thing. I don't think maybe he has the right decisions for the record industry. But I don't think anyone's going to argue the negative of, oh, the record industry doesn't need to change at all. The big three models don't need to change at all. So it's like interesting to see Kanye actually on a fence that maybe is more of like a really hard to argue against. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I don't know if he will do it, if he's going to try or what. But like clearly on Joe Rogan, he seemed to make the argument that he could, (laughs) you know, but that's the thing with Kanye. Will he do it or will he not? That's always the thing with Kanye.
2: I feel like it's almost like, it's almost like to me, it's almost like not even a PR move. It's almost like just looking at Kanye, like I feel like he's almost like it's just a really emotional, like, let's just like, there's a problem. Let's just do this crazy thing. You know what I mean? But then it's like even talking about something like, oh, Tencent owns this much of of universal like etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. it's like i mean i didn't know that personally yeah. you know what i mean like i don't who's to say he even knew all of like the inside things the intricacies as far as yeah, of as, everything. As, far yeah. as far as actually buying it like i right. feel like it's almost like in my perspective like it might not even be like a pr move thing he might just be like well there's something wrong with the with 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 the labels so i'm gonna just buy it and do it better but then like when it comes down to actually doing those things like with those different you know pr moves that he's done it's like I mean, I, I doubt he even knows what he's getting himself into necessarily. You know, what I mean? mean,
0: but I, I have to, I have to say, like, I get what you mean. I mean, he literally could just be very passionate about the subject and think I'm going to change, you know, one of the major three labels in the world from the inside by becoming a majority yeah. or be- becoming even a part of the shareholders process because again, the people at the top who are making decisions have to answer the shareholders. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. like if he has even some ability to be at those meetings and stuff like that, you know, that, that, that can incite change. Now, the level that he wants to do it, I don't know if he just wants to be in it. If he doesn't, if he wants to yell from Twitter, those are all different options. Uh, But like the thing with it for me personally is like, At the same time, you have to think like, this is like one of the most, it it sounds crazy, but I like, this is like super capitalistic American stuff. Hey, you want to be involved with the company? You buy a share of the company. He has enough money to do it. He clearly is trying to, in his mind and what he said out loud, obviously I'm not him, so I can't say. He wants to do it and so he can change things for the better. So I'm just like, look, if you're really, if this is really what you want, which again, I'm going to put the asterisk of I don't know, other than what he said publicly, then I'm fine with that. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. if you want to, if you really believe and you have a hard set that, I have the capital and I think I can change this company by being maybe the deciding vote at a chair meeting someday, then that's great. You know? Yeah. So like, I mean, yeah, I feel like, I feel like you, Thomas, where I'm just like, I, Kanye says a bunch of things sometimes and it goes a little too far, but at the same time, I'm just like, I don't think what he's saying here is that insane. I mean, this is literally like pure American dream shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have enough money to buy a stake <laughs> in a company. Like, the American
1: Dream, like that, uh, that weed brand. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> I think that's like the Jimi Hendrix strain or something. Or not? No, no, that's like deep, or that the purple or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, okay. Besides yeah. that, <laughs> man. Moving on, uh, we actually have some uh, VR news. Shocker <laughs> right now. Um, a company named Supersphere is planning to bring their technology to the mainstream by attempting to make the VR experience more attainable to their audiences. Dubbed Arc Runner, the creative effort allows custom VR performance spaces to be built in an affordable price for artists while also creating digitally rendered replicas of existing real world music venues. So these are like real venues that they're just like basically throwing in 3D space. And performers are in front of green screen. so not like
0: a Tomorrowland situation, but like actually, like we're at the it's red like, rocks. It looks
1: like uh. literally red rocks. Okay, it's like three D scanned red rocks. All right, basically. I just to make that sure. Um cool. So this, uh what's interesting too about Arc Runner, it actually allows crew members to operate a vir- uh, virtual stage in real time, just like a real show. So like lighting directors are working a lighting board. Oh shit. I would
3: do this. Yeah. And visual
1: artists, audio engineers, they have monitors and stuff like that too. I mean, obviously probably in the digital space, there's not a monitor mix, but you can imagine.
0: No, (laughs) there'd totally be. I like, but I, sorry. I just think it's so funny to be like, you could be an audio engineer. Like a, you could be like, what do you do? Live sound. I, what are you doing? I work from home.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, they're not to that point yet because (laughs) they're definitely all in like, you know, uh, a studio space environment Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a full crew involved in the process, but they are partnered with Facebook's Oculus Rift department and the company has already produced a live show with Steve Aoki and are looking to produce many more in the coming months. Billboard researched the numbers behind VR and stated, according to Statistica, More than 5.5 million augmented reality and VR headsets will be sold in 2020, and the technologies are predicted to sell more than 26 million units per year by 2023. In September, the International Data Corporation's quarterly report on worldwide VR headset sales projected that the following... That following a coronavirus related decline of 6.7% in 2020, the market for VR headsets will return to double digit growth uh, of 46.2%. Huge growth in 2021. That's just a year. So that's a big deal. While gaming continues to drive consumer headset sales, the IDC reports cities' virtual concerts among or sites, virtual concerts among the use cases starting to resonate with buyers. So basically people are starting to get more involved in it. They're starting to pay more money Mm -hmm. to do this stuff and they're getting used to the market. Um, And that's basically what the creators of Arc Runner are saying the whole time. They're saying, we're basically just trying to do this shit correctly now. That way people are more inclined to, oh, this is a professional thing. Like we're going to hop on. Now and it's gonna basically just massage the market a bit more. Okay. So, hmm. uh, Supersphere was launched by Lucas Wilson in L.A. in 2015. Wilson then bought uh, brought on Doug Allenstein as a dr- executive producer and business partner, and the bo- they both managed to book high profile projects such such as interviews with Michelle Obama in the White House, as well as his six part series with uh, Paul McCartney in his private home studio. So this was in 2016. But since then, uh, they have uh, worked with artists such as Billie Eilish, Empire of the Sun, Lupe Fiasco, South by Southwest, and many more. Um, And Arc Runner has apparently been in development for eight months. So they've been basically since the start of quarantine, been working on this thing and trying to like make it work better. You know, they're in beta testing at it uh, currently. And they actually uh, 3D scan real equipment that would be on stages. So like real led lights, real, like scaffolding, real stuff. They scan all of this stuff and then they import it into the software. And it basically just like, like, it's crazy. Like some of the photos are insane. Like they're, they have like, uh, camera guys scattered around and it's literally just a green room. And you look at the monitor that they're looking on and it's, Literally, it's like they're in the space. It's crazy. That's so cool. Um, so according to the company, the artists will eventually be able to use Arc Runner to create shows with little involvement from Supersphere uh, due to the digital library they are creating that is close to 500 virtual replicas of venues across uh, the world, basically. So however... It still still needs time to cook up. And according to Allenstein, right now we need to be doing the production because we need to prove that they're good shows. The worst thing that can happen to a technology is you release it before it's ready and people start delivering crap. But eventually when the tool gets into the hands of musicians and creators, they're going to create stuff that we'll never think of. And that's the beauty of it. So what does a contract look like for this? Because it's Crazy, right? There's This is unprecedented. This has never really been done that much before. It's only been done a couple of times. Mm-hmm. So according to Wilson, there isn't an established way of drawing it up or even an industry price standard yet. Billboard points out much of copyright law predates VR and even live streaming, which has led to confusion and disagreement over which music licenses are needed to broadcast performances. Wilson says that they are handling the licensing case by case and don't have a broad deal with labels or publishers currently. And Billboard also points out the company's attempt to digitally replicate concert venues leads to its own uh, thorny set of questions. Who owns the copyright to a venue structure when rendered digitally and how much should the owner be paid when a digital Mm -hmm. replica is made? Supersphere has already scanned a bunch of spaces, Wilson says, but he's now figuring out the business and the legal end because he's never been it's never been done before. So although it's uh, this company is really fresh, it's really not that old. And they're only just now it seems like making pretty big waves uh, within like the industry. Um, They still have competition in the air, such as Wave, who's worked with artists such as The Weeknd and John Legend, as well as uh, having Twitch co-founder Kevin Lin and Scooter Braun as investors. Uh, Wave is also not exclusive to VR and simulcasts uh, the performances in 2D as well, and they do that on on YouTube most Mm -hmm. of the time. So a bit more accessible than the Oculus Rift already. So, two D rival Melody VR, which we talked about uh, before, also has a leg up with licensing deals with UMG, WMG, and Sony, as well as acquiring Napster for seventy million dollars in August, which we covered uh, literally right when that happened. And yep. I was like, Napster, here we go. Yep. Dude. So, um, you know, th- this this is a weird, like, time. This is honestly. pioneering. Yeah. This is this is the stuff.
2: Uncharted territory. Yeah, Yeah. it's
1: uncharted territory. And it seems like people are starting to figure it out a little bit more. So, like,
0: so here's my thing with it VR, when it first came out, you know, because it's new and it came out in a form factor that was like a consumer base. Like, you didn't have to go to a lab somewhere. You could actually like buy one and hook it up to your computer and actually do it. Like, people were very excited about it when it first came out. But the price point for it and like, the limited features of VR in terms of like being worth like an $800, $900, you know, VR set were like so hard to push consumers to buy. Yep. Cause it was like, do you want like, you know, well, there ba- wasn't any content. For well, it basically yet. it was like, do you want to play like it, you know, a, because it was mostly towards games. So like yeah. at the time, even the games were like, do you want to play like basically what looks like a PS2 game in VR, you know? And, and
1: and they mentioned that too in the article they said that um a lot of it is still going to be pushed primarily by gaming and that's how they're going to get their because My question
0: base. was when they first started this was like, and you kind of started explaining this, was I was wondering if they were going to try to go for more of like an upper market, but it seems like they're trying to build the market into an accessible
1: place from what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. And the Oculus Rift is pretty accessible at this point. Like, it's, Yeah, I it's, mean,
0: there's that and there's the vibe and there's like a couple of those. But like what I'm saying is like, I it's, it's very different because I think before... Once we figured out, like once VR came out and they're like, oh, this isn't going to sell as crazy as like everyone buying an Xbox or a PlayStation or something like that. Mm -hmm. Then like all these people who made VR games had to like, basically they tried to make a niche for it. So they were like, oh, we're doing this niche market. So the things are a little bit more expensive because you have a VR headset, you know, like Mm -hmm. because of the VR technology. So these guys seem to be, like I'm saying, trying to make it big enough that like everybody wants to do it and in the concert space, which is kind of unheard of in like actually being used frequently. Yeah. So like, I guess, so first thing I'm wondering, I guess let's go Thomas since we have you here. Do you think if let's say you're like on a VR, like I'm assuming you'd be in front of a green screen or something like that, and then they would have like 360 VR cameras there to kind of load you into a space.
1: Yeah, so basically they're on a soundstage, right? And it's like there's a photo of like Steve Aoki, you know, with his yeah. with his boards and stuff. Do you
0: think that it would be hard for you if you were an artist, you know, even personally, or maybe you just want to take a guess towards other people to just be in front of like emptiness in a, bunch a lot of, of, cameras of ways? And that's yeah.
2: Well, that's exactly what I was thinking. As I was like, there's certain issues with it where like. I mean, people are already doing it because of COVID. There's like all these like live concerts that you just like go and just like tune into. So like people are doing it. So it's not like an end all be all problem. But for sure, it's like there's not that same kind of energy. There's never going to be that 100% same kind of energy as like a concert because concerts have those moments where it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, the audience is all going to sing along here and you're going to like feel the energy of the Mm -hmm. audience and like all these things. And like you just can't do that in like a VR concert.
0: It would have been. Like the reason why we have this stuff in pandemic, and like you know, and all these uh live show concerts, mm-hmm. everybody thinks of it as a concession from an artist's side, you know, yeah. like we have to do this because there's nothing else. Yeah. But, like, let's think about future proofing this thing is that if you had the option of doing a live show and they said, okay, well. You could do that. You could book your night for that, or you could come on our VR stage. I feel like it would be a hard sell, you know, well, for an artist perspective, unless the contract's very lucrative.
2: Also, but I mean, also, there's ways, like, let's say if the technology is there, the biggest problem I feel like they have is, like, just overall, like, install base is probably going to be the biggest problem. And that, that not that many people have something like an Oculus or whatever. I don't know exactly how they're going to try and tackle that, but I feel like that's the number one problem. Right. But let's say they do have a significant install base for the headsets Mm -hmm. and then people start really adapting this, especially during COVID. Mm -hmm. I mean, they could definitely like, they could continue it post COVID with like, yo, maybe they have like in the theater or whatever, they have like a little box area where this is like where the VR camera goes, you know what I mean? And like, and, and so there's still a reason for this much investment right now during the pandemic Mm -hmm. for people to, Uh, see returns on it after the pandemic's over. So it's like, I think it would work, but also at the same time, it's like, there's just, it's never going to hundred percent be the same as like being in a live, you know, show.
1: Yeah. Well, and uh, I will say there is some sort of like audience participation because uh, I think that Steve Aoki one, they actually did have people who had the Oculus in, like, the crowd thing or whatever, and, like, I think Steve could see them from monitors. So,
0: yeah, it's almost like you have your audio monitor for, like, what you're playing, and then you, like, you have your video monitor yeah. for, like, mm-hmm. who's out there, almost.
1: And apparently, oh, that's cool. like, what's cool about VR, too, is, like, you know, you can see the hand movements and stuff like that, and Uh, that's a a lot better than, like, the Minecraft ones, you know, where it's like, you know, they're just kind of walking around.
0: (laughs) I think Thomas hit a very good point there. It's going to be about user base, and it's going to be about expanding the market. Clearly, from the projections, the market's expanding. Yeah. Now, I don't know if the projections are...
1: Going to match the reality?
0: Well, going to match the reality, and also, like, how much of this is getting pushed by COVID? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, 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 I would be way more, you know, like... I'm more interested in a VR headset now because I can't go anywhere. You know what I mean? And so like, I guess the thing is, is that I get, I think this is a perfect time for them to start trying to really develop it. It's just going to be interesting to see if those numbers stay true because like, you know, if, if I had a survey or something and be like, yeah, I probably plan to buy one in 2021 and then, you know, Seven months from now, we have a vaccine and people generally feel more comfortable or something. Mm. Then, like I feel like your pl- plans as your consumer might change. You yeah,
1: know? I mean, I think, I think the best thing for VR is almost like an intimate setting. You yeah. know, yeah. I think that's what everybody strives for with VR, and I actually think you get more of that with live sessions as opposed to concerts. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think they're really trying to like force this like 360 concert experience thing down people's throats. And like that, you know, might work with the time being like, like you said. Right. But I think when concerts start to open again uh, and people are like, great, I'm going to get the fuck out of my house because I've been stuck in my house for two years now and I want to go to a concert. I'm going to buy a bunch of concert tickets. I think that's going to be more uh, like prevalent. I
0: love that idea because I think it'd be really cool if like, you know, maybe you had like a band that was more, instrumental or something like that you know like or like we have jazz people, or yeah. like kind how of cool a, would it like be? a
1: songwriter it's almost session. like
0: you have to like we we've kind of perpetuated this idea on this podcast where it's like we have to see this pandemic also as a positive in terms of like what we can do entertainment wise and so like we should do stuff you know when they do these live streams that are only available in live streams that aren't available in real life like how cool would it be if you could somehow like you know, they had a, let's say we had a jazz concert. There was like a trio or something, and everybody's like really into it. You know, he's like a virtuoso. How cool would it be if you could be like this close to this guy? Yeah. Like, and you're like, you know, uh, a jazz student or something. It's
2: definitely, it's definitely got to be a tailored experience. Yeah. yeah. Like in general, they, I d- have, they I just, have to work it for VR.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It would be really hard to just be like, here's fucking Drake in a concert, basically, and you're there. Yeah. You know <laughs> what I mean? So, like, that would be hard. Um, I think it's
1: definitely better than the drive-ins in my, in my opinion. Yeah. Because I think with, you know, like drive-in movie theater is one thing, right. But like a drive-in like concert, I don't know. It's just weird to me. I feel, I feel like it, it would just feel weird to have to like sit in my claustrophobic car and watch from, like, what if I'm, like, 10 rows back? Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like, how am I going to see what's happening? Yeah.
2: In my perspective, I feel like it depends on the artist, you know? It's yeah, like that too. It's, like, for Drake, like, I don't think you'd want... Like, a VR concert, I guess it would work primarily just because he has so many people that would show up to it, you know, virtually show up to it. But I feel like... Um,
1: but, like, a Shania It's Twain, just kind of weird not.
2: because, like, he's such a turn-up concert. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like, that sort of thing. So, it's, like... But, I mean, an artist like me who makes sad music, I feel like you have this intimate, like, VR thing. Like, if it's tailored toward it, it would work for something like that. You know what I mean? And artists who are, like, like indie artists. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like shoot, like, Julian Baker. Like, that would be a pretty sick, like, VR concert. But right. I feel like mm-hmm. it depends on the artist. Because if you're having something super turn up, I feel like a, a driving concert might almost work better. Because at least you're going to hear from, like, the other car next to you, like, Woo! You know, you're going to hear one of those. See, that's the
0: other thing we haven't talked about. I think we've been thinking, like, you know, if we think about VR... You know, you're maybe on the front row or whatever yeah. and it's just you looking and you can look to your left or your right on the stage and then there's nobody around you. What if we had like almost like a second life experience and like we all got in the
1: VR thing and like yeah.
0: Joe's right next to me? Like I could turn to Joe and talk to him or yeah, something.
1: Which is what they're trying to do with this. Okay. Basically, like you're in a pit setting and yeah. like there's other users around you and stuff. Because that reminds me more of like how Fortnite does concerts. And yeah. That's what's kind of what's appealing. They're doing. But um, the weird thing about it, though, is like interactivity of that is very limited, you yeah. know, in terms of of that and what you would do in in real life. And you know, Billboard makes a good point with you know talking about their uh, competition as well, because I don't think everything needs to be VR. Like I think two D uh, you know, live sessions, live concerts, filmed and stuff are just as important yeah. as, as virtual because think- you're still you want to get as many different kinds of people to get in on your product as, as possible. And the only people that are going to get in on VR are people who probably know a lot about gaming and are younger.
0: I just yeah. think right now that the market is super towards gaming and like, Yeah, we also have to think about that, like demographics. I mean, like but I feel like most people, again, just true with technology, is like unless we have a mass wave and like it causes a huge spike or something in people wanting to get it, this is mostly gonna be adopted by newer tech friendly people. I mean, you have to know enough to set up a VR headset. Mm -hmm. So like that's one thing. And then the other thing I was gonna say is it's really interesting how Like, like, I I think it's like you're saying, Thomas, it's going to come down to tailoring the experience to make it. This is a one of a kind of experience instead of a concession. You know what I mean? Because I'm not like, look, if it's a one of a kind of experience and I go to, if I go to a concert and I spend $90 on a ticket and the concert sucked I at least it's like, oh, we made like a trip out of it. It was like a day. You know what I mean? If I spent $90, $900 in something (laughs) to get like, you know, a nice VR headset or something, they're cheaper than that now. They're like probably like 500, 600. But like if I spent that much and I was like, these fucking blow, I would be so pissed compared to like all that kind of stuff. Well, and
1: and too, I think in terms of even gaming content, VR is still limited because the production cost of making one of of developing those games, developing things for VR is astronomically higher than 2d entertainment.
0: Well, it's also, well, even in a video game, at least you don't have to incorporate things that are live and moving. You know what I mean? Yeah. At least, like, if you have a 3D model of a character, you know, when he makes it, and you know, when a developer makes it, it's a 3D model. Then, like, if we have Thomas on a stage, for instance, we have have enough data to capture his whole body and everything around him, and the audio and sound he makes to make him sound like he's actually there. Yeah, that's like so much more work. Because I
2: feel that that's 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 what I'm saying is I feel like overall the biggest challenge is like the upfront crop cost is going to be way more, especially with like, they're saying scanning those theaters. Like that's like, yeah. they don't even know legally all oh the my god! They those they have, oh, you know when, I, when so. they,
1: yeah, when they mentioned that, I was like, is that even legal? Like for some of the yeah. stuff? Cause like, and it seemed like, they didn't even know, honestly. Yeah. Like they were. I mean, like, it makes eh. sense. It's pioneering technology, so like, yeah. Kind of get into that. But field. I feel like it does fall into you know, especially the architectural style of each thing is is that is copyrightable. That is mm-hmm. you know that is a staple. That's someone's artwork that they went into. Like there is architectural design is is the same. That would be the same intellectual property. You know, as as something else. They the venue might own that intellectual property. From the person who made well, it. But yeah,
0: you would know this from like photography. Like if you took a picture somewhere in a space. Yeah. Let's say like, you know, if you were in a concert or something and you took a picture of, you know, a client on stage or something and the stage is around, does anybody in the like venue have any say so on that yeah, image absolutely. and how it's used? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So like um there's a, a it's very standard with a lot of uh like especially bigger venues and stuff like that, that you have to, if you are a photographer, if you're a touring photographer, you have to sign like an, forms, agreement. an agreement with the yeah. venue stating that you're not going to use this in any def- uh like defamatory defamatory yes <laughs> uh way um you you also like some of them are even more strict where they're like we have to approve the photos that's true
0: like what if you were, like we at a you know and you could argue maybe this devalues your brand as a venue like if you're an iconic venue let's say a red rocks a carnegie hall or something like yeah. that and then people can go there and experience it or whatever and then you lose the thing that's like oh we, you know we've maintained this really old venue for hundreds of years now yeah, but now you can just get now on you can just, just Get it? Are. just devalues her yeah. shit.
1: You know what I mean? Well, that's the thing, yeah, and I, I think they're gonna feel some brunt of that. But it doesn't seem like they're using it for the promotion, like for anything except making it
0: right now. I'm gonna be very concerned. I'm I, here's my thing. I th- this is a this is a theory that I have. If the venues get involved, I think they're gonna have some leeway into what. Go like what goes backgrounds in the contract. No, mm. like I think what's going to happen is they're going to have some. I bet you this is this is my guess. Let's say we go down to w- let's say we go down to Bridgestone Arena. That's not a good example. Let's say we go down to Carnegie Hall because it's very iconic. Yeah. It's like it's meant very, for everybody knows what purpose. it looks like. Right. Yeah. I think what's going to happen is that you have to have like they're going to have say so into this developer into saying like. We, I, this is what I would argue if I was a venue, we get to have our virtual stage because it's
1: our venue. Yeah. So we
0: get to control who goes on that virtual and you, stage.
1: Oh, and almost do like a virtual booking process. Right.
0: You know, when we do like virtual Bonnaroo. Yeah. Instead it's literally there, you know what I mean? So like we could say like, oh, as Car- if you want Carnegie hall in your VR app, then you're going to have to let us only run Carnegie Hall. We book
1: Carnegie Hall, mm-hmm. like even in VR. Mm-hmm. So that could be weird. Can you imagine a virtual tour where it's, you literally, you're just like, okay, I have three performances today. One at Carnegie Hall, one at Red Rocks Amphitheater, and one at, <laughs> you know, like that's- you
2: that, just chilling in the studio. And yeah, I mean, screen. that might be so. what
1: happens. I mean, maybe these people can make this and then sell that, you know, 3D render to them. I guess. Like you were saying, oh, yeah. and then at that point, they might be controlled of the booking and then they could just hire them to do the video aspect of the performance and stuff and then at that point you know they can do splits with everything else and by splits we mean like uh who gets money yeah. basically the but, last
0: thing i think is very interesting about this article is how he is holding the technology because that's a very interesting thing to say like obviously He, it's it's their right as a company to hold the technology. Yeah. But it's interesting because you, they clearly have a, in my opinion, they have a clock with the pandemic. Yeah. Because the pandemic provides a perfect avenue for people to actually be interested in VR in a way because there's no other alternative. So I think it's interesting for him to hold it and be like internally, we're going to develop it, we're Mm going to make it better instead of just going, here's the technology, I want you know a thousand people to use this a day. And so they send me a thousand different reports saying this is what fucked up. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so like, my question is uh, I wonder how that reliability, how well that company's going to do in, you know, making the safeguards for like a consumable, like nice product when like they're the only ones, because we're not in like, this is like, you know, game developer territory. I mean, this is like, we're talking about like how they do, Betas and alphas and stuff like
1: that. And asset control. Yeah. the assets, So, like, it's know?
0: really interesting in that front, too. Yeah. yeah.
2: I just feel like overall, my, my, my kind of main thing with this is, like, there's so many upfront costs and there's so many complications with it, with, like, the venues and things, that it's, like, if they're going to do it and actually try and see a return on all of the so time guess, and effort and money, then it's, like, I feel like there's going to have to be some kind of concessions where you'd see, like, they're going to do it, but maybe... I feel like especially for big artists that need like a good return on it, I feel like you're going to see like a version of that that isn't VR, but it's just like more like interactive and you can like watch it on yeah. YouTube. Like the, uh, you know?
0: sim- the simulcast, like uh, yeah. which is like what he was talking about where basically you have control of all the cameras. yeah, So mm-hmm. you can go like, I want to go to camera two. I want to go to the drum cam or something.
1: Well, and two, uh, I will say YouTube has done a great job integrating 360 footage just to your phone. Because you can just sit there and just move your phone. The gyroscope of it will let you do that. And honestly, I feel like I'd prefer that to... Strapping on a yeah, VR I don't headset. Personally, I, want to do that. I, I want to go grab a drink or something. You yeah. know? Like, I'm going to a concert. I don't wanna, can you imagine standing in your room for like an hour and just be like, I doubt you would drink. have to stand. But like, well, yeah, you but mean. you just, know what I'm saying.
2: He's chilling, bobbing your head. It's like we really have a awkward. friend. Yeah. I, I
1: would totally see doing that. <laughs> he has, yeah. he has an Oculus. Oh I mean. my god, that would be
0: so funny. Um,
1: but yeah, yeah, moving on. Because let's got, talk
0: about technology. I'm not excited about. <laughs> uh, so we got to talk about Quibi. Uh, oh since God. Quibi just went down. So, Rest uh, in peace. <laughs> this is originally a Hollywood reporter article, but it's from billboard. Again, all the links are in the description below. If you want to read some stuff, I, there's a lot of quotes in this. So I kind of summarize some things. So if you really want to deep dive, this would probably be the one if you want to read. Uh, so basically this article originally from Hollywood reporter that got in billboard, uh, is kind of saying, will media investors learn from Quibi's failure is the title of it. And so it's kind of the whole thing is about talking about it. They kind of don't talk about will they learn from it. It's just more of like, why did Quibi fail is kind of the question. And they say a bunch of different reasons. So like, I mean, you're laughing about it and i I also am laughing about it because like, I just feel like, like simply you can be like, it sucks. But like, but at the same time, it's just like, In my experience, it's just like there's a lot of variables into it sucks, and that's kind of what this deals with. So first off, Quibi is going to shut down on December 1st, and uh, Quibi basically said they raised a billion dollars in funding. And Jeffrey Katzenberg was the founder of Quibi, and he's a big deal. And the reason why Quibi was like considered a big deal, because Jeffrey Katzenberg ran Disney Studios from 1984 to 1994, Damn. and he was the CEO and co-founder of DreamWorks Animation.
1: So Uh, big deal, big deal in the space.
0: Yeah. So like he knows how to do content. I mean, he was doing all the big, you know, animated Disney movies in the early 90s and late 80s. He was doing, you know, like the DreamWorks and uh, all that Shrek, all that kind of stuff that was making hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. So like this man knows about content, you know what I mean? So Quibi also on top of having a great, you know, person that everyone kind of believed in was they had a bunch of stars jump into this thing. There's a bunch listed in here, but I'll give you a few. There's uh, Liam Hensworth was on there. Anna Kendrick was on there. Jennifer Lopez was on there. Guillermo Toro was on there. And there's like a bunch of other ones I didn't even name. So it's like you got the smart person on the front and you got good stars and everything about it. Why didn't it work? Uh, So I'm uh, I'm not at all surprised, says Hal Vogel, CEO of Vogel Capital Research and a former entertainment analyst. I never understood the, con- the concept's appeal or saw its ability to scale, given the basic idea was to, quote, change sub fees while spending enormous amounts of money per minute of programming. <laughs> As a result from the start, this was a solution looking for a problem. He adds, I also thought the comp, the, the, what does it say? The competition for the short term frames was more amenable to things like crossword puzzles or (laughs) candy crush type video games. Um, (laughs) <laughs> I'll read a couple of quotes here if Katzenberg couldn't pull off Quibi's core vision then no one can and that vision of expert ex, well wow, this is expensively a hard one. expensively produced Hollywood budgeted content for a mobile first millennial audience is confined to the entertainment dustbin in perpetuity <laughs> Peter Caspi founder and CEO of an advisor firm Korea uh, Crea, creative that's a fun name media said Uh, Basically, he goes on and goes, Quibi got its marketing wrong and its target wrong. Young people had no idea what it was or why they should care. Uh, Their initial coming out Super Bowl ad was a disaster. And then uh, they summarize it. The Super Bowl commercial featured bank robbers escaping while the getaway driver watched content on a phone, replying, I'll be there in a Quibi.
1: God. (laughs) I have well, uh, whoa
0: whoa
1: <laughs> We could a have a whole like we could have a whole podcast about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. You should watch it because I watched it the other. Okay, it's I'm gonna, bad. I'll look it up. So later. Katzenberg joint had we'll, a joint we'll look it up right after this. <laughs> so Katzenberg <laughs> also had a joint statement with CEO Meg Whitman, and basically they said because the idea itself wasn't strong enough to justify a standalone streaming service, or because of our timing, their conclusion We will never know, but we suspect it's been a combination of two. Uh, We will never know? so yeah because they said there's some here's some other things that some of the other commentators said that I just kind of made into bullet points so one the short form content was trying too much to reinvent the wheel with the small length of the content and seemed like a foreign format to audiences who are used to like TV level formats and stuff like that yeah. and movie formats and that has to deal with time and stuff like that and then because of the small time format of content Quibi was designed to work this is a very strange one with a world's still Still on the go, i.e., the content is not inviting to be watched in a living room as everyone is is home as opposed to at work or school. Because Quibi was kind of invented to be like, you have two minutes between a class. Why don't you watch a Quibi? Which
3: uh, uh,
1: I I I, I just want to say, like you can do that already. On social media. Right. That's what social media was for. It's called TikTok. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's free. So it's free. I think that's
0: part of the reason that they thought this would work. So, three, the idea of subscription peak that because there's so much competition in the streaming space, consumers are starting to hit. Their max of how many streaming services they will pay for because Quibi was $5 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm going to leave you with this Ender's analyst Tom Harrington saying that, quote, from an unproven service to attract 1.3 million active users in the first five weeks is impressive, but by its own account, Quibi's launch. Uh, was underwhelming sizable subscriber targets 7 million by year one into 16 million subscribers by year three <laughs> justify a level of spend never seen in a short form video, but an ambitious for an experimental startup with limited brand equity. And then Quibius disclosed that it had 1.6 million subscribers to its initial 90 day free trial. <laughs> so that's good. People weren't even paying for it. Oh. And then lastly, he said, It is the first of what will be the number of streaming services that will not be able to sustain themselves. Um, So yeah, so Quibi.
1: Well, we were talking off mic too of just streaming service, long form streaming services in general, and just how everything like is the market going to be oversaturated with all these new like Peacock coming out and like all these other things. Like, are is is uh, cable television going to take over? again. Yeah. Or something like that. I mean,
0: we talked a quibby amount of time about it and then, <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh God, it's such a terrible That's our sound bite. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So
0: like if you want to make that joke about the length of the company being alive or the length of the content, you can choose which that joke works with. Yeah. But like, yeah, there's a lot of thing because like Quibby basically like had the meme of like step one, Jeffrey Kapsenberg, step two stars, step three, profit like that's kind of like what it was so like the thing with it i think is really interesting is i i think this one guy hits it on the nail it was was a solution looking for a problem yeah because it's not a consumer thing that i've don't the format itself i think is kind of part of the problem but I also think the content on it is part of the problem.
2: Well, my opinion on Quibi is it's just like it's the most like Hollywood thing ever where it's like you get a bunch of people with like a bunch of industry notoriety and a bunch of money and like as many stars and like money and like all these things as much as you can possibly get together. And you're like, it can't fail. I yeah. Mean, we got all this. Like, yeah. dude, we got it Kevin term it can't fail. Industry like,
1: plant is what people. Yeah. Used to it's use. just
2: like. But but I well this think, is
1: another level because it's it's literally oh, it was a billion, the, billion dollars yeah. it's the biggest funding ever for it's something it's crazy like this, this and basically.
2: I, I think it's just like they they were like trying to connect different points they're like well TikTok is big you know what I mean like Snapchat's pretty big like this young and people
0: like short young
2: things. people have don't have attention spans let's you know let's do this here's like,
1: the thing they forget Um those are free yeah exactly <laughs>
2: like, that's what i'm saying is like i feel like they connected all these different points that made sense but they like they connected point a to point c and forgot that point b was like influencers the fact that these apps are free yeah the fact that they're like
1: really good you mm-hmm. know what i mean and like and that users can inter- interactivity with users
2: exactly and so i feel like they just connected point a to point c yeah and can you imagine somewhere in there can you
1: imagine watching netflix and like watching a netflix show and it being two minutes long I just, would that goodness. not just fill you with the most disappointing? The, feeling? And that yeah. goes into
0: that point about like how you can't watch Quibi. It's really hard to watch Quibi at like your house. If you want to, do you want to watch? It's like, it's like that office joke where they're like, "Do you want a bunch? Of, do you want a small amount of good pizza, or do you want a lot of bad pizza?" And they're like, "A small amount of good pizza." And that's kind of <laughs> what I feel like. It's like, do you want nine hundred episodes that are five to ten minutes long, or would you like ninety? that are regular format and they like are designed and you're used to like the length of it and they're designed to be, not this weird cliffhanger every time the episode ends because how can you develop anything in a five minute to 10 minute episode? Yeah. So like,
1: question, is it like very produced? Is it, are these like run yes. like TV shows? Yes. So it's not, it's not like the, the added thing of social media where it's, you know, it's almost like home video aspect, right. Where it's, it's very relatable. It's very like engaging in yeah. that, in that way.
0: So that's why I think, and Thomas said it on the nail, why those influencers and stuff and your example of being a class or something, or, you know, like, At your job, and you got like three minutes, is like that's why that works in that space, you know, being like, Oh, I got time, I can watch a TikTok because I feel like that's more of like, Oh, this is more, you know, not produced content. I like if I don't pick up every note of three TikToks in depth, I'm not fucked for the rest of TikTok. But if I'm watching Quibi for two minutes and I miss three words of it, I've missed a sixth of the episode, so like, <laughs> <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Like, I just have to keep infinitely rewinding, you know? Like, that's kind of
1: get to the point where we have all those chips in our brains, right? And we just, we just breathe and we're like, oh, that was a season. <laughs> <laughs> also, Let's go to
0: season three. <laughs> also, Quippy had the vertical video as well.
1: Oh god, for a
0: while, and then they like reverted it to a loud traditional. I think is how it went. So like, imagine even better. Every, you know, it's my favorite thing to say. Everybody already loved how cool Instagram TV looks. No,
1: so they were like,
0: <laughs> let's put it on Quibi. Yeah, like I, was, <laughs> I don't know what to do.
1: Um, yeah, dude, when they finally patched IGTV's like thing where you could actually do full screen of it, yeah. everyone was just like, thank Jesus. Oh my yeah. god, <laughs> Cause I like, just, yeah, I weird. just feel
2: like overall, like. A big reason that those short-form video, like, that format works is because it's, like, these indie people. It's influencers. And people like that it's, like, yeah, traditionally short-form video is not this super Hollywood-produced thing. And people like that. Like, people like the fact that it's, like, just people. And they can relate to those people and those influencers. And that's why they follow them. And that's why they, like, enjoy that type of thing. But then it's, like, I feel like you tread into the territory of, like, Some celebrities do it well, but then sometimes when celebrities get on TikTok or they just start like riding that wave, it's like really cringy. Yeah, you know. I mean, I feel like Quibi was the entire app dedicated to
1: that. You know, just just I'm my PR person told me to get on here. I'm here.
3: Yeah, it's. I just
0: I just think the thing with Quibi for me was that it was like if you're supposed, it's just such a disconnect between these are really well produced shows and like you're supposed to be into it. But then at the same time, the form factor is just telling you like, it's only five to 10 minutes. You don't have to care that much about it. You can watch it on the bus. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's just weird to be like, you know, uh, you should be invested in these characters, which makes you really want to buy Quibi more. But at the same time, the form factor is telling me it doesn't fucking matter. You know, (laughs) like, that's kind of my thing with it and then also like you're saying there's so many free alternatives. Like TikTok yeah. is the one that comes into my mind just because of, you know, 60 seconds and stuff like that, but even YouTube. I mean, there's so many YouTube videos yeah. that are less than, you know, 10 minutes that I would watch, you know, yeah. in
1: between. So, so like, a lot of competition, a lot of failed management it seems like in in terms of just failing to register what the market wants.
0: Yeah, I mean, like they're saying it's a solution without a problem. Nobody was like you know i get it i feel like we all have that meme of like being like oh man there's so many shows to watch and i can't watch them all you know what i mean everybody's watching all these shows i can't watch but i don't think anyone was like can you force it into my lifestyle where it's 10 (laughs) minutes and then every time i can do it and so i'm hooked into like what the office gossip is about tv Mm -hmm. you know it's just stupid uh so quibi good luck uh, no, no. Crashing down, <laughs> but we'll Rest see. Rest in goes. peace.
1: Uh, but last article, uh, and it's actually an interesting one. It's more of like a, a kind of a deep divey kind of thing. Um, so, can single songwriters make it to the top of the Billboard charts? And what we mean by that is just songs that are written by one songwriter. So, Fleetwood Mac's "Dreams," written by Stevie Nicks, is soaring high after the track found massive success on TikTok, which we talked about in an episode prior. Ironically enough, the song has had a rebirth during the area during the era of absolute desolation in the charge for songs that have been written by one person. Yeah. So here's I'm going to go through the the eras basically for you guys, just to kind of see like yep. how the industry has changed. So 1950s. of the tracks written by one person hit number one, 1960s, 26% out of 203 singles, uh, of number one singles, 1970s, 44% out of 253 singles, 1980s, 42% out of 231 singles, 1990s, 24%, uh, out of 140 singles. So basically half of the, the era prior, uh, 2000s 6%, 129 singles, uh 2010s 4%, 116 singles and currently 2020s 0%, 17 singles so far. So there are two trends I'd like to point out here, uh just looking, you know, briefly at this. Uh obviously the catalyst happened in the 1990s. Um, when it dropped from 42% to 24%, and uh, they accredit that to uh, actually hip-hop because it's such a collaborative genre and because of its popularity soaring so high that it it kind of changed everything else. You know, It changed popular music in general. So not only did hip-hop do it, and they were kind of the first to do it, uh, pop music began doing it afterward, and most recently country music has started doing it. Um, so another thing I'd like to point out is the number of singles that hit number one in 10 years, uh, each 10 years, um, has gone down by a lot. This is like, you have to remember, these are 10-year periods. So like 253 songs in the 1970s, is, that's not a lot of songs for 10 years, right? To be, to hit like a number one. In, in the grand scheme of how many songs come out, there's so much competition to get to number one. And it's seeming like, as the years progress, the ones who make it to the top stay at the top longer, which is another trend you have to think about. Yeah. So according to Billboard, the catalyst for this trend stemmed from the rise of hip-hop in the 90s, which is a very collaborative genre, and has gained rise in other more traditional genres such as Country, which currently has five songs, totaled 16 songwriters, that are competing for Song of the Year at the CMAs, which is coming up next month. So I want to ask you guys, like, do you think like obviously the trends are obvious it just doesn't work right if to get it to be to be a single songwriter on something and get a number 1 do you think it's going to happen again do you think cuz the last one was you know, was Ed Sheeran they said and that yeah. was a while back
2: well i think it's it's a um it's an issue that's multiple, there's multiple levels too, because one, for one thing, the hip hop thing is very true and it, it's on multiple levels in that like, yes, hip hop's very collaborative and hip hop is, isn't it still the predominant genre, genre in the U S it's like still like, the um, top, isn't it? Yeah. I yeah it's yeah, it like, I, th- most I think so. To yeah. Most like, yeah. Are you talking about so, in terms
1: of gross revenue
2: or just in terms of like, the charge, like just in general, you okay. know what I mean? Like, um, anyway, hip hop is very collaborative but then you're also seeing things like sampling is very, is happening a lot more. Yep. And that, I mean, it's not just lyrics. I mean, it's, that's like instruments. Like sometimes people have vocal right. samples like this and that. That's also technically a songwriter. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. still the because same Because why
0: would you, uh, why would you do a big contract to get, you know, say, give me, you know, a percentage of the royalty that just go, give me a, a songwriter credit. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's- so it's like, so that's another thing. And then also, uh, um, the industry in general, there's more collaboration, not just in hip hop. I mean, you see a lot of these pop singers that are collaborating with um, with hip hop artists, with rappers, with producers like this and mm-hmm. that. Like you're seeing a lot more collaboration just in general within a lot of genres. Yeah. And then also, this is the other aspect of it, in my opinion, is that what I've seen personally is that it's a byproduct of the industry. And that if you're just talking strict, like strictly like the classical sit down, let's write a song together, let's do a top line like this and that, like whatever mm-hmm. it is, um, the industry pushes toward that, I feel like, in mm-hmm. a big way. And that like when you get in there, let's say you sign as a songwriter, one of the first things you're going to hear is, oh, let's have you write for this person, or let's have this person write with you, or let's... Uh, Let's like link you with this songwriter and like this and that. Like the industry pushes toward collaborative songwriting a lot, which like makes sense. Maybe it doesn't like this and that. Like, I I don't know entirely, but, but basically like, I feel like the industry pushes toward people writing songs with other people rather than just solo songwriters by themselves. And so people who reach those charts, by and large, you're not really going to reach those charts without a major label. It's very mm-hmm. rare you're going to be independent where you're going to reach that chart. And so if you're in the industry like that, you're probably going to be there from a label and you're probably going to have been linked up with a songwriter or have collaborated with someone along the way to get there.
1: Yeah. And I mean, too, I especially in your genre as well. I mean, it's yeah. it's huge. And, it's very big and, on collaboration. Yeah, you told us you know, even if you have just like you're in the room almost you get a songwriter credit for for some stuff. Not not in your genre I, specifically that, but that's the in thing a lot I of other to talk about.
0: I think uh, what Thomas said is completely right but I also want to add I think people got smarter. I think yeah. that it's also put in that like let's talk about I I think personally if dreams, you know, Stevie Nicks came out today she wouldn't be the only songwriter on there. I guarantee you it would be, you know, because of the way that musicians are taught and they've learned through the history of the record industry and stuff that they go, I, I guarantee you they'd be like, yeah, Mick Fleetwood's also going to be a writer on here. And, uh, you know, uh, like Stevie, you're going to have that. And then like, didn't you talk to this one guy about a lyric? Okay. He's also going to be a writer. Well, it's covering um, your
1: ass. Too, Lindsay
0: Buckingham is, is going to be a writer. you know, like, yeah. and that's the kind of thing. I mean, Th- you're kind of also seeing why these like sixties and seventies people were making bank money because like, they're the only one getting them like split, you know yeah. what I mean?
1: And like <laughs> at the time music was sold, right you know? So you're getting even more of a percentage so, like, from that.
0: It's also that too. And so like, I, I think, I, I think it's just like what Thomas is saying, like we're in a, the music space is more collaborative in general. Like yeah. I think that we're taught, you know, as musicians and stuff like that, that, if you can do a collaboration with a musician, then even better. Like sixties and seventies fucking unheard of, you know what I yeah. mean? You're a band and you're a band. Hey, I like your music. Hey, I like your music. That's pretty much it. Other than would you like to yeah. form a new band? Yeah. You know
1: what I mean? That's well, like, was not heard of back in the day. Do you guys think that's a po- This is a positive thing. I think, I think if you're working on any project, whether that be creative, whether that be not creative, I think having multiple people chime in on something can be very helpful. You know, I think it can make the product better. Um, But with that said, does it lose kind of its independence because of that?
0: I'm going to have to go in the middle with this, which I know is not the fun answer, but like, I think it really depends on what the situation is and why somebody's getting a songwriter credit. Because I feel like, you know, if I had a song and then, like, you know, if me and Thomas were doing a song and then, like, I made you know the beat for the song, and Thomas sang on it. And the beat, in the words of the song, like had a hook in it, or felt like instrumental into like making the song what it is. I could see somehow arguing I should get a songwriter credit for it. But if I just made a beat for Thomas, and then like he made the melody, he made the lyrics, and like let's be realistic here, the reason people are coming to hear it is because to everybody likes Thomas's melody and lyrics and Thomas. Then I feel like. Why the fuck am I getting a songwriting royalty? You know what I mean? So like that's, I think it's a case by case basis. You know what I mean? I don't it, like, obviously there's the extreme where it's like you were in the room when we played the piano note to start the song, you know, you get a song songwriter songwriter credit, credit. right, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I also appreciate, like you're saying, it's used to cover your ass and it's like an easy way not to get well, caught up in lo- legal fees. Yeah, all so, the So uh,
1: a good example uh, was one of Taylor Swift's song. Um, I can't remember what it was. It was, the, it was the record before, what was the record before lover? Uh, was that 1989? Was or that 1980? I'll maybe it, maybe it wasn't 19. It wasn't 1989. I don't think. But up. it was like the song where it was like um, she gave a songwriter credit to uh, the guy who wrote the. Um, Too so sexy, sexy for my shirt. Yeah, right. Exactly. Said
0: Fred. That's on
1: Reputation. I think. Yeah. Is what Yeah. Okay. So yeah. it was on that, and apparently the reason was because the song structure itself had such a close resemblance Oh, it's the to, same
0: thing, because it's, I'm sexy for my shirt, and then it's, look what you made me do. Yeah. That's literally the same thing. And so, like you're saying...
1: And uh, apparently, sometimes they don't even ask No, people to a, put the credits on. They'll just put the credits on the song. Because
0: they don't want to deal with it, and they yeah. just go, you know, like once they find out, they go, they're all in a tough, and they're like, don't worry, you're going to get part of a check. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're
1: going to get a credit. Especially when you're that big at that point. It's so much easier to have your team just... Tell us, I know you want to get in
0: here. What do you you mean? Oh,
1: I was just going to say, I don't think that it's a bad thing at
2: all. Like, I mean, music, music being collaborative, I mean, it's just like... I feel like the more I've learned... Obviously, I'm a little biased because my genre is very collaborative. But I just know, like, having more people look at stuff, that's never like a... I don't think it's ever a bad thing, you know? And, like, seeing this trend toward more hit songs are collaborative i don't think that that's like a bad thing i think that they i think the notion that you can't reach it as a solo songwriter i think that's a bad thing yeah like that, that there's just no way to do it and you have to work with people but like you know if you just look at how like the industry works and like how you how you get certain places and how like I mean, you just meet a lot of people and right. you're going to mm-hmm. work with a lot of people. And like, it's just kind of how it is that like, especially when you're really in it, like when you really, really get into it, it's like you're constantly introduced to different songwriters, different artists, producers, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like you're this, this trend toward it being more collaborative. I don't think it's a negative thing at all.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. I, I, I like, I'll just go back on my statement. I think it's really about what the level of the collaboration is. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't like, you know, obviously I hate to hear the stories when like, somebody claims they wrote part of a lyric or something. And then everybody's like, you're bullshit. And now everybody's got to play pay legal fees to figure this shit out. You know what I mean? I hate that. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, I do like what you're saying. And like, I love the ability to basically not have to deal with this bullshit by like, it's an understood principle that it's like, Oh, you're just going to get songwriter credit and it's not unusual to say that out loud. You know what I mean? It's not like a thing that we have to explain a legal document on and do all this stuff where it's like, no, we just put you on the paper as a songwriter too. You're going to get your check for, you know, from the publisher from doing all this kind of stuff. So like, that's what I like about it is the ease of use. But like you're saying, Thomas, I think it's not a necessity. I mean, I know, you know, songwriters that make good songs that are not, you know, collaborative just by themselves right and i would say that like if we want to go the creative route that sometimes those are the unique things about it is that like this is one person's voice so sometimes like it takes away like kind of the polished finish of it sometimes from having Mm. the collaborative yeah you know it can get real rough especially with songwriter royalties
2: and and one last thing is like as you just I i feel like just overall just like as you like get further and further in music it's like you just meet the coolest people like, mm-hmm. there's so many cool, cool people that are in music. Like, some of my best friends are in music. And it just, I feel like even in my own experience, obviously my genre is different than mm-hmm. a lot of genres. But I don't think it's really that different And that, like, you meet a lot of people and you're like, yo want to make a song and like it's fun and it makes sense that some really cool stuff comes out of that and i think that reflects on things like the charts because people just get together they put their minds together they make something crazy and and then
3: boom
0: that's how you get on you know better shit for you you get better songs maybe you can be a tour opener you learn maybe you you get an opportunity because you guys hung out and wrote a song together later on because they're like hey i know thomas you know he's the chill dude because we wrote two songs together it was awesome and also
2: man it's like if you're one of those people who only only thinks that everything you do is dope and you don't listen to anybody else. Like you're not going to grow as an artist. No, not
3: yeah. at all. you know,
2: like even when I write things entirely, like I have a lot of songs that are entirely written by me, but I'll send them to my homies and be like, Hey, is this good? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they'll be like, no, yes. You know what I mean? Like that's, that
1: is very important. Yeah. Having someone to bounce off of, but exactly. uh, I want to ask a little bit about your genre in particular, Thomas, because it's so different uh, I feel like historically than a lot of other genres because mm. honestly, it's primarily been... I mean, yes, it's been spliced up. It's it's come from hip-hop originally yeah. all that stuff, but it's born primarily on the internet and it, it, it thrives yep. on the internet. I would describe it as cutting edge. Yeah, because, for know. sure. And also, people don't understand how much money is in your genre because yeah. it seems like there is a lot of money to be had in it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I just... Up the example of my really good homie, shout out Fu. His song Deathbed is still going crazy, mm-hmm. and he's he just reached double time, he's two times platinum now in the US with that song. Yeah, is, is that the
1: one? Uh, the Beba Doobie, yeah, uh, the sample? Beba Doobie sample, that's like, the one that blew up on TikTok. Uh, so,
2: yeah. yeah, yeah, but it's like because because I've been around it for like a minute, and like, like him, for example, like I met him year and a half ago, probably, you know, like right, like I think he just released the song because the song didn't like blow up, blow up like huge until like a year later. Um But I guess uh overall, like the the genre, it comes from like if you think about classic lo-fi is very much jazz rap, like chill hop, like that sort of like influenced of like it's surrounded by it, it's based on like a lot of YouTube channels, like obviously it started in, in its inception from like a lot of these like scenes of. Like you know, the chill beats study too. Like yeah, so I the I anime, anime chill girl society, chilling out, super aesthetic. Too. <laughs> Obviously, that started. But then, in my opinion, I don't, I don't know, hundred percent of the history if all this is hundred percent accurate. But the way I see it, I feel like it really kind of like it reached a lot of mainstream stuff uh, after like X, like that rapper. Like mm-hmm. he had his 17 album and his song Jocelyn Flores. Uh, it sampled Shiloh, who. Mm-hmm got sampled so much after that especially um but she was sampled before uh, a lot and basically it was like you're taking the sound of lo-fi which is a lot of these like um really aesthetic they're like they're like hip-hop beats but they don't hit that hard they're not yeah. like super super hard on on bass some of them can be but it's it's largely just very like light like airy like vibey kind of kind of sounds and um a lot of, especially after that, a lot of it's based on like vocal samples where they mm. take like a little instrumental of a p- piano guitar, like with a little vocal, they loop it and they make an aesthetic beat out of it. And mm. then people sing or rap over them. So it's like right after that came out, like, man, there's all these people that started like coming out of the, out the gate that were doing it like before him or at the same time or et cetera, et cetera. But, but the point is, is that that really shine, it's it, it shown. It's shown a word? <laughs> yeah. We'll you take show, it. It. it's shown a huge I don't think it's a word. Anyway, it shine like a huge light on um, on the genre as a whole as far as it like reaching more of a mainstream appeal. You know, beyond just like the chill beats to study to and this and that. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. and so then, man, I mean you have you have like Pau for example, who's like reaching these insane heights off of this genre and it's like it's really, really inspiring to see how like all the people that I've met and and how the genres continue to grow and how it's like really it's reached a lot of mainstream appeal now. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. so. It's
0: just, it's a very, I, I love it because it's like a very unique genre that's come out of the internet and stuff like that. Kind of like K-pop is in a lot of yeah. ways. And well, I was like,
1: about to say, didn't it split? It was kind of on par with vaporwave, that whole vaporwave push too. Yeah, sort of. Was yeah. some of it. I mean, it wasn't exactly the same, but it was like kind of yeah. on the same growth. It's like two time. steps away. I would say, Yeah, yeah. But,
2: but that, is, I guess the key that, yeah, you really nailed it to is that it's very born from the internet. You know, by and large, Um, in that you have like a lot of YouTube curators that post these songs that really are breaking artists. You know, you look at like like YouTube channels like the Bootleg Boy are like promoting sounds and it's like you can look at their top songs on their channels. Mm -hmm. A lot of those artists are signed. The majors now and it's you know? like you know it
0: shows the power of the tastemakers too you know yeah. these guys and girls yeah. who are Blogs putting these and, shows. yeah everything it's like i think the thing i love about y'all's genre is like it's come to a point where like it reminds me of like the origins of like remixes from back in the day like as old as like you know we're talking about like 70s disco remixes and stuff mm-hmm. but now we've gotten to a point where like you know if we go back data, it used to be like oh, every artist also has a 90s Acid Hot House remix now. (laughs) But now I think we've got to the point where it's like, no, this isn't remixes. These are like actual musical compositions that use samples as like a main point of it. You know what I mean? And it's different from rap where it's just like, this is just supporting... You know, the rapper or something like that and that's it. It's like an actual, the arrangement of it and the effects and the other instruments that are with it are a composition itself as opposed to, you know, just being like a remix or considered something derivative, you know what I mean? Which I think is really innovative. And that's why we wanted to talk about it because it's just like, It's not seen. I mean, like, I can't. I can't think of other genres that are like that. You know what I mean? Other than K-pop or something like that, where I I think it's interesting.
1: You could could argue some forms of techno. You know, like later Mm -hmm. forms of techno. But that's what I'm
0: saying. It's like derivative, kind of uh, not derivative, but it's like comes from the roots of like that kind of space. Where it's like you're taking something and you're creating something new. But I love that now we're not just like scapegoating and being like. Oh, this is just, you know, a remix of share. This is what it is. It's a remix of share. It's and now we're actually like, this is an actual musical composition. You yeah. know what I mean? We've put this together as an individual thing. Yeah. Um because
2: yeah. I, I just think it's cool because cause yeah, it's exactly what you're saying. It's like it's really like it's like new songs built out of like like a lot of it is entirely original stuff, but right. then a lot of the stuff that's like really popped is it is a lot of like sampling people. And it's cool that it's like Yeah, you're you're taking like a little hook off of an existing thing. You're making it sound way different, super lo fi and aesthetic. And then you just kinda (laughs) like you know, you're you're putting like rappers on top of beats that have like indie samples and you have like it's very much like it's different kinds of sounds and it's it's yeah, I just I think it's really cool. I met a lot of really cool people through it and I'm I love the genre. Yeah, so. yeah. that's great. Well,
1: awesome. Um, well, in terms of what I've been listening to this week, uh, I've been listening to a lot of Neil Francis, uh, if you guys don't know that. Uh, specifically their song, Tell Me, I guess it's their biggest song now, but it's one of their newer ones with Undercover Dream Lovers. It's very, very I like good. Name. Yeah, I name. Yeah, it's a good band. You should check them out. Um, I also have been listening to Arden, um, which is a smaller group. Uh, I don't really know where they're out of, from I, I listened to them a lot at the beginning of college for me, so it's been a while, but I kind of rediscovered them again. Um, and then you know, I'm just vibing to Radiohead, will always be. I love Radiohead,
0: <laughs> yeah. I love Radiohead, but I also always think of that impression of Radiohead by Reggie Watts, oh, yeah.
1: like, <laughs> Tom, the Tom York,
0: yeah, where just the Tom York, that's what I always think of. But you know, Radiohead's legendary, yeah. Uh, I got I've just been on this like this has been my entire life. I just get really bored. Start reading Wikipedia pages. Go. I've never listened to this album. Let's go into it. So I went into the, like, I, it's weird. Cause basically I'll just go, you know what? I haven't listened to this artist. Really? I've heard the songs. I just haven't really listened to it. If you get my drift. So I was listening to the police and I was listening to, uh, I think it's literally their first album. It's called, uh, oh God, it's got a weird title. I'm going to say, regatta de blanc is what it's called but like uh, oh it's the second album but like it has a dark side and the moon on it it also has message in a bottle yeah uh, which is like the main thing but the thing about it that i think is really interesting is like it i've i watched like part of a documentary about them and like they said they started out as a punk band basically and like they basically were so good musicians and like had so many influences that the punk scene was like No, this is weird. No. And so they became mainstream (laughs) because they created a new kind of sound. Yeah. And so I didn't really believe it, you know, because like, oh, I, you know, they play like the old footage of them playing and I'd be like, okay, they're punk or whatever. But then when you listen to these albums that are like really old, you go, oh, shit, this is like really punk, like inspired by like third wave of reggae and stuff like that and it's just like shit where you're just like all right police you actually got cred you know you're not just like white mom central (laughs) Uh, even though sting totally is now but like it's just like i i've just had it in my mind i was like like, okay sister sorry white (laughs) mom central um but like literally it's just like now i'm like okay sting you got your cred you know like now i understand why you have your like you know, you're not just a gimmick. You're not just like, Oh, we all love every breath you take, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs)
1: Thomas, what have you been listening to, man?
2: Um, I've been, I mean, I'm always, I'm always listening to Drake, specifically sad Drake, Mm -hmm. uh, I just love, I love Drake, but, um, <laughs> that's like a forever for me, but I mean a lot of, a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, but as far as newer things, I, I really love break I don't know if you guys have heard of him. No, he's so he? good and he's popping off right now. And he's like, he's really like came up recently. I don't, I guess it's like sort of a mix of, I don't know if it's hyper pop. I don't want to say that it is because I'm not entirely sure what hyper pop is still. <laughs> yeah. That's like hundred
1: gecks, right? Or something. Yeah,
2: But it's, see, he's not like hundred gecks. So maybe he's not hyper pop point being, he's really, really good. Um, he's got like some really like, it's like, think of some of his tracks. He'll start out singing like Bon Iver kind of, Yeah. but then he just goes off and it's like screaming and like distorted 808s. And it's like, mm-hmm. he is so good. He just did a song with Black Bear. Yeah. Um, oh, um cool. because i think he just signed to, to columbia uh but anyway very very good he's very good and um also who else uh there's this one song feelings by ollie that's amazing it's like really sad like it's kind of like indie mixed with hip-hop but it's like really really good uh and then i'm always just bumping the homies uh cozy boy my dude shout out cozy boy he just released a new song it's really good so
1: yeah nice well thomas where can people find you in your music uh Spotify. I say Spotify
2: <laughs> a lot. I'm on I'm on all this stuff, man. I'm on Apple Music. I'm on like all the places, but I love Spotify. So uh yeah, and then you can just follow me on Instagram. Um I'm just Thomas Reed Music everywhere, so you can just check me out. Soundcloud, awesome. Instagram, all the places. Yep. Well
1: Thomas, thanks again for joining us. This was yeah, great. So we'd love to have you again sometime. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um but yeah, that showbiz, baby. Thanks for listening to That Showbiz Baby
0: Podcast, your all things music business and media podcast. You can follow us at our socials at ShowbizBabyPod, Facebook and Instagram at that Showbiz Baby Podcast, and email us at Podcast at gmail.com with all your questions, concerns and topic suggestions. And thanks to our boy Thomas for coming on and you can follow him at Thomas Reed Music pretty much everywhere. Um, we're working very hard on getting this video stuff up and running. Uh, so check us out. We're going to have a YouTube channel for that portion of it. But yeah we really appreciate everything you guys do if you can rate us if you can share us we really appreciate it thank you so much